Okay. So, like I said, when we left off in the fall, David had just spared Saul's life for the second time. I want to go back and I want to look at that real quick before we get into verse 1 that I know you looked at in your homework. So go back and look at chapter 26. Look at verse 21 through 25. Saul says to David, Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do you harm, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. And David answered and said, Here is the spear, O king. Let one of the young men come over and take it. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness, for the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation. So right there, we see David putting his trust in the Lord. God is going to decide. God is my protector. God is going to take care of Saul in the right timing, whenever that's time. He had God's promise, and he was putting himself in God's hands. So then, when you flip over to chapter 27, and the first thing you read is, Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. Doesn't fit, does it? That doesn't line up with, and that's really out of character with David. We have seen him be very strong in the Lord, and in really difficult situations, turn to God, write these amazing songs, pour out his heart, put his... When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. you know, like he's declared these wonderful things that we now get to hold on to. But right here, he's got a little bit of a lapse. He says to his heart, in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Was there really nothing better for him than escape to the land of the Philistines? No. But could I hear myself saying that? Yes, <laughs> definitely. It's really hard for me to point fingers at David. So why should that stop us in our tracks, though? What's wrong with this statement here? Well, I just think he's not trusting. Not God. trusting. Mm -hmm. What did he have? I mean, we've, I think maybe we've kind of covered this, but what did he have to hold on to? What promises of God? What, was, what could he have clung to in that moment? That God had promised. God had promised, yes. God had promised him the kingdom, right? He had promised he would be king. He had anointed him. I mean, David needed to go back probably to that foundation, much like we often need to go back to our foundation. Wait a minute. God does love me. He died for me. I am saved. We go back to the gospel. That's where we go back to remind ourselves of truth when we're not thinking accurately. So he does appear here to waver in his faith, God had proved to David over and over that he, had, he was with him. He had, he had personal experience of God protecting him. Remember the rock and how God was his rock and protected him around the rock? I mean, he had experience after experience of God getting him out of all of these different situations and protecting him and watching over him. But in this moment, he's like, mm -mm, nope. So he says to his heart, now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. So I wrote down just a list of things David could have been telling his heart instead. 
And I really latched on to that David said in his heart. He said it to himself. But he could have been saying things like Psalm 56.3, his own words. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Or Psalm 56.9, this I know that God is for me. Psalm 56.11, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Psalm 34.4, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. I mean, there David's declared it already. I have sought the Lord. He's delivered me from all my fears. I don't need to be worried this time. I'm going to be fine. It's going to be okay. God has an amazing track record. He is faithful. I've seen him do this before. But David does not remind himself of any of that truth um, in that moment. There's really a, a thousand verses that we could go to to have that encouragement. You know, we, we could look at all of God's word. It's all there for us. God's um, encouragement to us is, is really a hundredfold. But here's the thing. Is that what we're speaking to our heart? Is God's word what we're speaking to our heart? Is that, what I, is that my go-to when I'm feeling stressed or when I'm feeling abandoned or when I'm feeling sad, when I'm feeling left out, when things aren't going the way I want them to go? Do I go to God's word and speak that to my heart? Or do I just speak whatever I want to my heart? Half the time, I just speak whatever I want to my heart. But this is where we need to go. This is what we, just like David here, this is what we need to be speaking to our hearts. What David says here in his heart is contrary to both the word of God and David's experience of God. So it's a good check for us. So are the things that we're saying to our heart contrary to the word of God? Are they contrary to our experience of God? Are they contrary to God's own testimony in the scriptures? Or do they align with that? That's a really good check. When you say something to yourself, uh, does it align with God's word? Here is actually your first principle tonight. I usually try and have three. I don't know if I have three tonight. I probably have two. But maybe I have three. Okay, the state of our hearts is a direct result of what we say to our hearts. The state of our hearts is a direct result of what we say to our hearts. The state of our hearts is a direct result of what we say to our hearts. How many of you guys talk to yourself? All the time. All the time. Yes. And now, like, when I go grocery shopping, you know, you have to wear a mask. I just talk to myself even more because nobody can see it. <laughs> I'm saying all kinds of stuff to myself. I talk to myself all day long. And half the time, I'm, I'm saying stuff that is not accurate. I'm saying sometimes really mean things to myself. I'm saying things contrary to God's word for sure. God doesn't want me being mean to myself like that. He's not thinking all those things about me that I'm thinking about me. And and really, it's an insult to the Lord when I'm thinking those things, right? But we speak to our hearts all the time. And what we say to our hearts is going to affect the state of our heart. 
So I just really want us to think about what kind of things we're saying tonight. What are we saying to ourselves? And does it align with God's word? To say things to myself that go against God's will for me is to place myself on a trajectory of pain, heartache, frustration, sin. It's really going to be a downward spiral, which is what we see with Saul. He said all kinds of stuff to himself that was not true. He told himself that David was chasing him to try and kill him. Was that true? No. But it set him on this trajectory, this this downward spiral, where he ends up in chapter 28, seeking a medium, you know, of all people. That's pretty far down there. Not to mention, a lot of times it's believing a lie. And who wants us to believe lies? Satan wants us to believe all those lies. We are just helping him out. When we say these things to ourselves that are contrary to God's word, instead of actually speaking truth. Now, let's give an example, and let's just say I try and rationalize some sinful behavior that I have. And so I say something like, well, you know, Stacey, it's just the way you are. You just can't help yourself. You know, it's just, just the way you are. You yell at your kids all the time. Everybody yells at their kids all the time, right? I mean, it's just, get over it. It'll be fine. Am I helping myself out by saying those things to myself? No. But if I were to speak truth to myself instead and say something more along the lines of, you know what? The same spirit lives in me that raised Jesus from the dead. I do not have to yell at my kids. I have self-control. I have the help of the Lord. I have a way out of temptation because of Christ. If I were to speak those things to myself, all of a sudden, I put myself on a completely different trajectory from where I was. Now I can have victory over sin. Now I can walk in the Spirit and bear fruit as opposed to walking in my flesh. Not to mention, it's going to be a giant hedge of protection at that point against any schemes of the devil. So do you see how important that is? Well, kind of how it starts with whatever I'm saying to my heart, whatever, whatever I'm focused on. Okay, I know that I'm like feeding this to a pulp, but I've thought about this a lot over the last couple of weeks, and, and it's, it's been in my mind a lot as I say things to myself. I'm starting to catch myself now, like, that's not true. That's that. I should not say that to myself. <laughs> and that's a really good guard if we can get in the habit of doing that. Now, looking back at David, whether or not it was God's will for David to be in the land of the Philistines during this time, we can't actually say. We don't know if this was this God's will. We don't know. It happened, and it was, and it worked. So, I mean, maybe it, it did happen, so I guess we can say it was God's will on that point. But if David had asked the Lord whether or not he should go into the land of the Philistines, it very well may have been where God sent him. Um, yes, you should go into the land of the Philistines. But then David could have gone in faith instead of fear. That's the difference. So he went this time, though, by fear instead of faith. A lot of places David's been in the last several years on this journey, he's been there by faith, and that's really helped him. But this time he goes because of fear. But God does do something pretty cool. Uh, There is a, a couple of really neat pictures that I think we can gain from David's time with the Philistines. Remember back in 1 Samuel 4 how God himself went into exile among the Philistines due to Israel's sin? Remember how he went via the Ark of the Covenant? And then the Ark of the Covenant's in their territory, and like their God 
I think it's Dagon, falls down to the Ark of the Covenant. And God is like, oh, that was the hemorrhoids, right? God, yeah, they put it up and it would fall down. And God, yeah, and eventually they were just like, get this thing out of here. (laughs) We don't want to deal with this anymore. Okay, so we have that picture of God going into Philistine territory due to Israel's sin. It was really due to Israel's sin. Now we have God allowing the anointed king of Israel to go into exile because of the sins of others. He's in exile. David's in the land of the Philistines because of all of this craziness that's been going on with Saul, right? We could look, go back to that. This never would have happened if it wasn't for the sin of Saul. What does that remind us of? It's really a picture of the gospel is what it is. Christ exiled, it's a picture of Christ, exiled from God due to our sin. It's a picture of him going into enemy territory, just like the Ark of the Covenant was, to fight on our behalf and defeat what we couldn't defeat. So when you look at what David is doing during his time there, he is doing what Israel wasn't able to accomplish back at the beginning of Judges. So at the beginning of Judges, That was a year ago when we were looking at that. Uh, They were told to defeat all of the different Canaanite people groups, right? To totally annihilate them. To follow through with this. God would be with them. And they didn't do it. They just ended up merging with these people and living among them instead. David is now going in, even though he is doing it under the guise of a lie. And he went there by fear. But he is accomplishing... um, what the Israelites failed to accomplish in the first place, defeating these different Canaanite groups. So he's resuming the unfinished task that they weren't able to do. In comparison, Christ also did what we couldn't accomplish for ourselves during his time of exile. So you see that kind of that fun parallel of where we can actually see the gospel here of Dave, maybe David's time. David is the anointed one. He is the Christ at this time. Um, Christ means anointed one. So he is the anointed one. He's in exile, but he is doing what Israel failed to accomplish in the first place. He's, he is defeating, he's accomplishing for them what they, what they really needed. Now the ironic part is then how much Akish loved David. I really do find that hilarious. He's, he loved him. He loved this guy. Even when he was, this is the same guy when David showed up and was crazy and was acting insane. I think it's the same guy. And now David's back, and he's brought his army with him, and so he gives him Ziklag. So was David wrong to lie? That's a good question. What do you guys think? Was David wrong to lie? Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't trusting. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think David was absolutely, even though he is accomplishing some good things for Israel and doing what they failed to do in the first place, Jesus never had to lie to accomplish God's will. We never have to lie to accomplish God's will. Jesus didn't have to. We don't have to. So if we ever feel like we have to lie to accomplish God's will, that's probably a big red flag that something's not right. We're either where we're not supposed to be or we're not doing it how the Lord wants us to do it or we're just not doing the right thing. (laughs) We should never have to lie to accomplish God's will. And it definitely put David in a huge pickle to try and have to fight. Maybe he doesn't know how this is going to turn out. I mean, put yourselves in David's shoes. 
when Akish comes to him and says, let's go, you and I, and go fight against your own people because that's what you've been doing for the last year, or actually it'd be 16 months at that point, so this is right at the end of his time. That's what you've been doing, so let's go. And David's like, yeah, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> what do you think was going through his mind? I don't, I can't even fathom, you know, what, I, was he calm at that point? Was he finally thinking, man, I have made a really big mistake here. I should have never been here in the first place. I should have asked God if I should have ever come. I mean, what do you think was going through his head? I don't know. I honestly have no thoughts on that. <laughs> but he had um, Ziklag to where the Philistines were meeting up to fight against the Israelites. Apec, I believe it is. He had about an 80-mile walk with Akish to think about what he might do when he gets there. <laughs> That's a long walk. <laughs> you know, and I just wonder if the whole time he was praying, Oh, Lord. <laughs> What have I done? Yeah, get me out of this, please. And God does, doesn't he? God does get him out of it. We've already talked about that during our overview. So here's a truth that I think we can claim, and I I hope this is encouragement to you guys. Whether we are where we're supposed to be or not, God is still sovereign. He is still sovereign all the time. Whether we're where we're supposed to be or not, God is still sovereign. He's still completely in control. He was in control of this situation the whole time. And I loved that. It just it's brought a lot of comfort to my heart, just knowing God's still in control. God is still in control. Even just looking at our nation right now, looking at all the things that have been going on in our world, God is still sovereignly in control. That has not changed at all. Okay, so I'm going to skip through a little bit because we have talked some about chapter 29 already and how the Philistine commanders, they were not willing to fight with David. They did not want to fight with David. But how Akish, I'll just read because I just think it's funny. 29, 6 through 9 real quick. And then we're going to come back to 28. We're going to finish talking about David and then we're going to come back to chapter 28. In verse 6 of chapter 29... Then Akish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you have been honest. That's hilarious. <laughs> and notice, like in these few chapters, well, especially in this one, but as far as David's concerned in these few chapters, we don't see him interacting with the Lord. The only references that we have here of the Lord are by this Philistine king. That's kind of interesting to me for you know to think about. And then you have you have uh, Saul trying to reach the Lord, and God's not willing to speak to him. So you do have that reference. But as the Lord lives, you have been honest. And to me, it seems right that you should march out and in with me in the campaign, for I have found nothing wrong in you. It's just so thick with humor. It's funny. From the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the Lord do not approve of you. So go back now and go peaceably that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. And David wins a Grammy from this one. Verse 8. But what have I done? (laughs) What have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord, the king? Really funny stuff. So some of the commentators say, we don't know who he's referencing in that. Like, my lord, the king, 
is he really talking about Saul or is he talking about Kish, Akish? So would he have gone into this battle and turned on Akish and fought on behalf of Israel? I kind of have to believe like if David, if God had not gotten him out of this scenario, that maybe that's what David had decided he would do. I don't know. Because I just can't see David fighting against his own people, even though he put himself in this position. I just can't see that. So, funny, I mean, the Bible's got so many hilarious things in it. Akish just thinks he is blameless. Verse 9, I know that you are as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> I know. I had to underline it in pink. I thought it was so funny. So that's David's interaction with Akish. Now, there's before we do get to Saul here, there is some interesting comparisons between Akish and Saul, and I got this from the New American Commentary, and I just thought this was really kind of fun to look at, so I'm just going to share this. Both kings, Akish and Saul, made David their personal bodyguard. It's kind of interesting. They both did that. Both were impressed with David, particularly his fighting abilities, yet both ended up removing him from the ranks of their armies. They both did that. That's kind of interesting, too. Both were responsible for David's making his abode in southern Judah. Both badly misjudged David. Saul considered David his mortal enemy, yet he was, in fact, his most loyal subject. Achish considered David his most loyal subject, yet David was, in fact, his most dangerous enemy. That's kind of ironic, isn't it? Both kings also made inappropriate use of oaths, taking uh, the Lord's name inappropriately. So, actually, Saul does that a couple different times, but he does that with his interaction with the medium in chapter 28. He says, um, he says to the medium in verse 10, But Saul swore to her by the Lord, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. He couldn't make that promise. She was living in sin, and the punishment for sorcery was stoning. So he could not make that promise for God of immunity. Oh, you, you'll have immunity. As the Lord lives, you'll be fine. He, couldn't, he misused the Lord's name there in that oath. So the parallels then between Saul and Achish really make yet a, another very strong case that Saul was indeed a king such as all the other nations have. Remember, that was really our big thing last fall. They wanted a king like all the other nations had. They got what they wanted in every way, shape, and form. They got what they wanted. Here he lines up perfectly with Achish, the, the king of the Philistines. Like, and he is definitely Saul. When you look at Saul, he is a king who does not speak the truth to his heart. He has not spoken the truth to his heart hardly at all. David had a little lapse. We're going to give David a pass on that one. He had a little lapse. He did not speak, but a lot of times David has spoken the truth to his heart. We're going to see that parallel now unfold a little bit more. But I want to draw your attention to one more thing before we get to that. I want you to notice that the song that initially turned Saul's heart against David, remember the song? It's in, verse, it's in chapter 29. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. 
the song that started it all, the song that David maybe hated because that was the day that Saul decided he was going to be jealous of David, the song that had caused so much grief in David's life is now the song that saves his hide because the Philistine commanders quote this song. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. This song now saves his hide from doing something that could have been disastrous for his kingdom, for Israel. So you just never know what God might be doing in your life or how God might be working in your life. I look at this and I see God's sovereignty clearly protecting David, guiding David, using this song now in David's life in a way that probably David didn't expect, you know? And in your homework, you looked up Isaiah 40 and you looked up Jeremiah 32. And both of those, 32, 17, both of those passages really uh, um, focus in on God's sovereignty. Did you guys read those passages? Were you able to look at those passages this week? Did, did they offer you any encouragement looking at those passages? Yeah. <clears throat> I have looked at Isaiah 40 a lot in the last couple of weeks. It's one of my go-to places in Scripture when I need to remember that God is sovereign, when I need to remember how big he is. I mean, in that chapter, he talks about how the nations are like a drop in the bucket. I mean, this whole episode with the Kish, this was no big deal for God at all. He had this completely under control. You know, we look at uh, the different political situations going on, whatever side of the map we're on or whatever. We look at that and, and we might be worried. We might be scared. We might be anxious. In a lot of ways, we have a lot of reasons to be. But God is still in control. He's still sovereign. He's na- the nations are like a drop in the bucket. And in that passage, he actually mentions the... Does he mention the king? He turns the prince's... Where was it? I have two Isaiah passages marked in here. Who bring, he brings the princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely, I'm in verse 24 of, of Isaiah 40. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown. Scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them. That's all it takes. And they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. I wrote at the top of my Bible, we have nothing to worry about. Speak that to your heart. That's what we need to say to our hearts right now. We have nothing to worry about. I am a child of God. You are a child of God, I hope and I pray. And we've got nothing to worry about. He just... And the kings are gone. The nations crumble. Whatever. He's so in control. He weaves history in ways that we can't understand, that we can't fathom what he's doing. No one can make details come together like God can. No one can take hard things and turn them into good things like God can. No one is more trustworthy than God. No one sees better than God does. No one is more in charge than God. Only God can use difficult seasons to draw us closer to him. Only God can right wrongs. He can do all these things, and he does them so easily. Only God can lead us on a path of righteousness. But are these the things we're saying to our heart? 
Is this what we're reminding ourselves? Is this what we're speaking? Because this is God. Are we telling ourselves these things? I um, will often tell the Lord that I love him. But I wonder sometimes if God would rather hear, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you to do what's right. I trust you to make this situation turn out okay. I trust you with my family. I trust you with my future. I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to speak truth to my heart, and I trust you. I trust you to get me through this. I just wonder if, if he's just waiting for us to say, I trust you. Yeah, there it is. You finally trust me. Good. Don't doubt yourself. Trust me. That's right. Here's your second principle. Trust is our gift back to God. We want to bring a gift to God. Let's bring him our trust. Trust is our gift back to God. If you want a good book on trust, have any of you read Ruthless Trust by Brennan Manning? It's very good. Kind of an oldie, but a goodie. I read it in college, and I pulled it back out last night. I was looking at it. I was skimming back through all of everything that I had underlined. Ruthless trust, if you want a good book on trust. Our trust can be a gift back to God. We want to give him something. Let's give him our trust. Let's follow him wherever he leads. Whether we are where we should be or not, the call is the same for all of us. Trust God. Trust him. Walk with him. Willingly put yourself into his hands, which is exactly what David should have done back in verse 1 of chapter 27. He should have trusted God. He should have put himself right back in God's hands. Look, Lord, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of running from my life. I'm scared. I trust you. That's what he should have spoken to his heart. Okay. When we speak the right things to our hearts, trust is much easier. It's a much easier path to follow when we speak the right things to our hearts. Now on the flip side then, we have Saul, who has not spoken the right things to his heart for a very long time. He's been on the wrong path for quite some time. He really started off pretty well, right? I mean, he was anointed with the Spirit. He had the Holy Spirit. He went after, um, he saved um, the, the people of Jabesh Gilead. And he was, he was ready to go. And actually, it sounds like from what the medium says in verse 28, like he made some good calls right at the beginning. He put all of the mediums and the sorcerers out of the land of Israel. Maybe he did that when, if you think back to it, when he was at his coronation ceremony, Samuel read through the law. And maybe he did that then. They don't know. They're just, you know, some of the commentators were speculating. But did he, you know, he started off well. But then he decided to just, do his own thing. He did not trust God, which we're going to talk a lot more about next week when we finish up Saul. He didn't trust the Lord. He didn't speak the right thing. He never spoke truth to his heart. He just spoke whatever he wanted, whatever he's feeling, whatever he's thinking. He didn't speak truth. He didn't speak God's word to his heart. And he ends up here in this interesting place in verse 28. So as we take a step back, and we look at Samuel as a whole, we see definite contrast now between those who believe and trust in the word of God and those who don't. We can make those distinctions of who has believed and trusted in the Lord and who has not. 
we also see God's interaction with those who trust in his word and those who don't, those who speak truth to their hearts and those who don't. So what we do with God's word does matter. It matters. How we respond to his promises matter. It's going to play out in our actions one way or another. Whether or not we trust him really does matter. Saul is a great example of why it's so important to speak the right things to our hearts. Uh, if you go back to Hannah's prayer in the beginning, remember her prayer has really acted like a table of contents for us much of the way through Samuel. And I think next week I'm going to end up bringing it up again. But in verse 6 of her prayer, she says, The Lord give both death and life. He brings some down to the grave, but raises others up. Even when it's unconventional. I thought this verse fit perfectly with what's going to happen in chapter, or what, what did happen in chapter 28. God raises Samuel back up. And that's what this verse says. That's what 2.6 says. He brings some down to the grave and he raises others up. Now when you look at chapter 28, the author of the book of Samuel, probably Samuel, but, well, he's dead now. Well, <laughs> not really. <laughs> he's back alive at this point, but <laughs> we might have a different author at this point. But the author is, reminds us in, in, in verse 3, um, now Samuel had died. So he's going to set the scene for us in verse 3 of chapter 28. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. Is that how you say that, necromancers? I don't even know what that is. Does anyone know what that is? It's sometimes, it has to do with um, the ones who have relationship with the dead. Oh. So like you think about romantic feelings and oh. necro is dead. Oh, so. okay. <laughs> so it's <laughs> Okay, interesting. All right, those people. We'll just call them those people. Not, not, but spiritual relations. <laughs> I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Okay. <laughs> okay, that's Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. Anyway, he put all those people, thankfully, out of the land of Israel. Shoo! But... <laughs> Now, Saul finds himself scared to death once again. <laughs> Get it? Pun intended. Scared to death. Sorry. <laughs> finds himself really terrified as the Philistines are coming up against him. He can see them. Actually, I think when they describe, when you look at a map and you think about it, like I think he's kind of up high, and I think he can see out the Philistine army. And so he can see how huge they are. He can see how fierce they are. And he is absolutely terrified from his vantage point and his heart trembled greatly says verse 7 and Saul does the right thing he inquires of the Lord but the Lord doesn't answer him does he why you looked at this in your homework why do you think the Lord did not answer him he had not been listening yeah not at all what did uh and to see if he was what he was going to do like yeah. He never repented, right? Yeah. I mean, even at that point, the Lord wasn't answering him. I think if, if there had been true repentance, God would have spoken to him. But there, they, he, 
He had said, even in chapter 26, I sinned, but true repentance requires you to change your behavior. And he never changed his behavior. He never actually, he was still the same old Saul, just giving half-hearted obedience all the time. But it, it, well, okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. Yes, and so sin, sin's a big problem, right? Did you catch that in the verses that you looked up? Um, Isaiah 59 and Proverbs 1, 20 through 33, both talk about uh, sin. Sin gets in the way. It is a huge, it can be a huge barrier between us and God. Another important reason that we need to be speaking truth to our hearts is we do not want sin to get in the way. God will not, um, God does not abandon us. God will not take his spirit from us. Uh, But we can put those barriers between us and God when we are acting in sin. So, I also think from a practical standpoint, God's prophet, Samuel, is gone. And Samuel, according to chapter 19, had trained many other prophets. But those prophets who had been under Samuel's training probably knew uh, that God had rejected Saul as king. So, maybe that's why there's no prophets around. Um, also, Saul had killed a lot of the priests. Remember that? The priests of Nob. And apparently, there was one surviving priest that fled to David. So who is left to even inquire of the Lord for him? That's what I want to know. So, again, he really put himself in this situation. For many years, Saul rationalized his sin and spoke all kinds of wrong things to his heart. He never truly trusted God, and here he is separated from God by a grand canyon of sin. There's a wide gap between him and the Lord. Uh, So Saul resorts to then encountering this medium. And as I talked about, she is in Philistine territory. He had to take a little walk. To get there, he disguises himself, putting on other garments, and he goes by the cover of night. Well, not only because I'm sure it was intimidated to walk into Philistine territory, also he's the king doing this. He knows he's doing the wrong thing. He knows that he shouldn't be doing this. Uh, it says in there, it's interesting that it actually, so, well, the fact, the fact that he disguises himself, it actually says he takes off his robe. That's significant because it's symbolic, once again, of him is taking off his royal robes. He is not acting as God's anointed. So he does not have his robe on in this instance. But who does have their robe on? Did you catch who does have their robe on in this scene? Samuel Samuel has his robe on. (laughs) The robe that Saul most likely reached out and tore. Remember that? Back when uh, Samuel first announced that the, the kingdom would be stripped from Saul and given to another. So this whole robe thing is still still significant, and it's something that we've seen throughout the book of 1 Samuel. So he doesn't have his royal robe on. It speaks to the moment of him falling to this level. He arrives uh, there, and the medium assumes this is a trap to get her in trouble. Like we mentioned, he promises her immunity, which he cannot do. He cannot promise her immunity from God. That's just not possible. Uh, Leviticus 20, 27, the punishment for sorcery was stoning. So actually, instead of, here again, Saul just did half-hearted obedience even there. Because instead of just putting the mediums out of the land, he should have stoned all of them according to the law. So again, we see this trend of Saul of continued half-hearted obedience. 
But with Saul's promise of immunity, the woman proceeds, and then when she actually does see Samuel, she screams because she can't believe it actually happened. It says, it finally worked! <laughs> this has never happened before. And Samuel comes up and, uh, and speaks to Saul. It's, it's crazy. Only in the Bible, you guys. Only in the Bible. These kinds of stories. I, I think, and we've already touched on this, but I think it's really important to recognize that God did this, not her. God allowed Samuel to come back for the specific purpose of accomplishing God's will here in speaking to Saul. There is a spiritual world that we can't see. I do want to mention that. Um, anyone who seeks to dabble with it is not actually talking to dead people. I think you guys probably all know that. Anyone who's dabbling in that, they're either faking it or they're talking to demons. Um, a reference on that is 1 Corinthians 10, 19, and 20, if you want to look that up later. It's not something we're to mess with either. That's why God prohibited it in the first place. Deuteronomy 18, 11 says, Anyone who seeks to consult with the dead is detestable to the Lord, which you guys also looked up in your homework, I believe. God has given us someone to talk to, though. Did you guys catch that when you read through Deuteronomy? So I had never put these two—I uh, never put these two things together. So in chapter 18 of Deuteronomy, it talks of, in verse 10: "There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter or as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens." or a sorcerer, or a charmer, or a medium, or a necromancer, glad they were included, or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. So you have this little segment, and then right, I, I knew this next portion of scripture, but I had never put them side by side before. And right underneath that, you get this next portion starting in 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen to. Who's he talking about? Jesus. What? Jesus. Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. Yes. I will raise him up, and it's to him you shall listen to. Not these other people. Not these people who don't know what they're talking about. I just had never put those two side by side. In verse 18, then, of that chapter, I will raise up from them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. I love that. Here's the ironic part. Our faith is based on believing that someone did indeed come back from the dead. Isn't that ironic? Mm -hmm. So put those two side by side. You can't, no, this is detestable to the Lord up here to dabble at all in sorcery, I have given you someone to talk to who has come back from the dead. I'd never put that together before. Where's that? Deuteronomy 18. And his name is Jesus, which it doesn't claim, it doesn't name him here, but we know his name is Jesus. <laughs> we know who it is. I have given you someone. Our whole faith is based on talking to someone who has come back from the dead. Isn't that ironic? That's so interesting. And we can speak to him all we want to. And we are told to listen to him. I just thought that was kind of fun. So, verse 
So why do people seek out mediums? Why do they seek out mediums? Why do they go to sorcery? Why do they go to other things? They don't know Jesus. They don't know Jesus. They're desperate. They're desperate. <laughs> yes. I mean, they can see. I can see you. Yes. If you're a medium or whatever. I can literally see you. Right. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, you know. Yeah, because the... You tell me things, and you're, it's coming straight from your mouth. Right. And I can look you in the eyes. Yeah. yeah. A physical person, like, just like... You know, Israel wanted a king because they needed somebody there, even though they had the Lord. The Lord, but they needed, they wanted a person. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I feel like we get trapped in that. I do. Yeah. I mean, it'd be a lot easier if Jesus would just like show up right now. <laughs> Tell us what to do. Show us. Be our king right here in the presence in the flesh. Right. It's easier. It's easier to look at something. Did someone say something? No, okay. It's faith to have to believe this without seeing it, right? Isn't that what Hebrews tells us? We have to hope in what we cannot see. People go to these other methods because they are desperate for a word of assurance. They want something. They want some sort of assurance to tell them that that their future is going to be okay or that a loved one is going to be okay, or that a particular situation is going to turn out okay. But as believers, we already have a word of assurance, don't we? We have a lot of words of assurance, a whole Bible full of words of assurance. As we talked about last semester, God has already spoken to us. We don't have to wait for him to speak. He's already spoken. It's whether or not we're willing to listen. It's whether or not we're willing to speak it to our hearts. Isaiah 8, 19 and 20. You might want to write that one down. Uh, I love the book of Isaiah. I realized I had three references to Isaiah in tonight's study. Isaiah 8, 19 and 20. The Lord says this, And when they say to you, Inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony. That's my favorite part. To the teaching and to the testimony. That's where you go. You go to the teaching. You go to the testimony of God. And you go to his word. That's the truth that we cling to when we need assurance. The problem is not that God has not spoken to us. The problem is that we choose to ignore it. <laughs> the problem is that we don't speak it to our hearts. We don't remind ourselves of the truth. We trust in our own understanding instead of trusting here in God's promises. We seek the assurance of the world, something more tangible that we can see, instead of actually the assurance that God gives us right here. And then we don't say it to ourselves. We forget to speak it to our own hearts. Sometimes I'm really good at reminding other people <laughs> of God's truth and kind of terrible about reminding myself when I need to about God's truth. Case in point there, we'll look um, as we wrap up here in chapter 28. Look at verse 15. Uh, i got to get back there. Verse 15 says, is it verse 15? Maybe it's not verse 15. 
Maybe it is. Then Samuel said to, to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, Oh yeah, here it is. I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me. Listen to this. And God has turned away from me and answers me no more. He is blaming God for this entire mess. Yeah, God had turned away from him, but it's only because God, um, Saul had turned away from God. It was his fault. And yet Saul is blaming God for this situation. And so that's what Saul believed. That's what he made himself believe because that's what he told himself. That's what he spoke to his heart. So that's what he believed. But the truth is that Saul had turned away from God first. Saul had brought this entire situation upon himself because he chose not to listen and obey God in the first place. He chose not to speak the truth to his heart. He chose instead to rationalize his behavior, and the downward spiral was intense. We've seen that. We've seen that over the last, you know, weeks of study in the fall when we looked at that. He did some really rash things, trying to kill David, his envy, his jealousy, all those things that he spoke to his heart. It just, just takes you down if you're not speaking truth to your heart. Here's your last principle for the night. We can't control what others say, but we can control what we say to ourselves. We can't control what others say, but we can control what we say to ourselves. But their voices are usually louder. Their voices are usually louder. <coughs> it's true. And it's so easy to listen to their voices, right? I mean, people say things to us and... Mm-hmm. Exactly. That voice becomes our voice. We latch on to something someone else says, and God's like, no, latch on to me. Cling to what I've said. But it's so easy to just latch on to something that someone else said, or like an insult someone says to me. We just latch on to that. We can't let go of that. God says, no, cling to me. Speak this to yourself. Speak my truth to yourself. Don't, don't. Don't speak that to yourself. Don't worry about that. To the teaching and to the testimony. That's what we cling to. And we speak the truth to our heart. Any questions? What do you think? Good study tonight? Yeah. Chapters 27, 28, 29? Okay, next week is going to be 30, 31, and then we're going to cross into chapter 1 of Second Samuel. So you'll do 30, 31, and then chapter 1 of 2 Samuel. And I will text you all tomorrow so you don't have to remember that tonight. And I'll send out those homework questions. As always, if you have any questions or anything, just contact me. So I'll pray. I'll let you guys go. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the mounds of encouragement we have in your word. The fact that we do get to cling to it. And it's just amazing, God. You're so loving. You're so giving. You're so amazing. You're sovereign. Father, I can't speak for all the ladies in this room, but I just pray that we will trust you. We want to trust you, God. And I just pray that you will put a ruthless trust within each one of us, God, and we will speak the truth to our hearts, that we'll remember who you are throughout the day. We'll remember the teaching and the testimony, and that's what we'll hold to. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. You're welcome. <coughs>